Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Phantopological, the podcast that explores the breadth of human fandom. I'm your host, Nick T, and I hope, whether you're a Hufflepuff, Slytherin, Gryffindor, or Ravenclaw, that you are a fan of today's episode as we revisit the Harry Potter fandom. Helping me to do that today is my good friend, Nick Z. Hey, representing House Ravenclaw. And today we are also joined by two special guests who I'm excited to hear more about. Uh, I'm told they've collectively read the first Harry Potter book over 75 times, were interviewed in local news for reading The Half-Blood Prince just one night after it was released, and have been running their own Harry Potter podcast for just under the past three years, if I'm not mistaken. Alice and Martha, aka The Real Weird Sisters. Hello, thank you for having us. We're very excited. Yeah, we're very excited to be here and what a nice introduction with all of our stats. (laughs) Mostly Alice's stats, so uh, (laughs) I'm feeling a little bit uh, humbled here, but I usually am feeling that way when I'm in her presence. It's funny because I was looking through the About Us page and, and I was listening to your introductory episode and I was just like, oh, it's going to be really fun to introduce the two of you. And then I didn't realize how one side. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm just being humble, I think. I mean, Alice is just so incredible in her Harry Potter fandom and like she has read the first book so many times. I've read them all 20 plus times, which like is good for in relatively to most people. But compared to Alice, it's a little bit. Well, and here's the thing. It's <laughs> my also my fandom is a little bit lopsided because I really I I have a very strong knowledge of the first couple of books, but as has been evidenced recently, like I do not know the last couple of books that well. Like I mean, better than the average person, obviously. But <laughs> obviously, <laughs> but I mean, it's just you know, I I being older at that point, I feel like I didn't have as much of a of a depth of knowledge of those last couple of books. So Martha's definitely probably surpassed me on those. Oh, thank you. <laughs> not that we're keeping score. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about what started your your interest, your passion for Harry Potter? You've, you've been doing a podcast for almost three years, and I can't imagine that's just by chance. Yes, uh, we are both pretty huge Harry Potter fans, as, as we've sort of evidenced to this point. Um, Alice was the original Harry Potter fan, so I guess I'll let her tell her story first. Well, and it, I, I want to have like a really cool origin story, uh, but I, I don't know that I do. I just I, I really loved the books from the time I read them. Um, with the one exception being that I read the first chapter of the first book um, and I wasn't hooked. And so I kind of stopped reading it. And then like about a month later, I went back and at that point, I read past the first chapter and that's when I really got hooked on the series. Um, At that point, the first three books were out. So that's why I've read those three so many times um, is that I reread them over and over again um, until the fourth book came out. Um, And then I read off the first four over and over. So that's why each book I've read successively a little a couple fewer times. But yeah, it was just something about the writing and then the the world building that really drew me in. And I was just so hooked. Uh, I could not put them down. Uh, Martha might have a little bit more interesting story, though, I think. Yeah, well, I, I'm six years younger than Alice. So when Alice was reading these for the first time, I was like three. So I was not really um, too interested at the time. Um, and then we kind of have a bit of a competitive relationship, more so when we were younger. Um, and I especially wanted to always be like, distancing myself from Alice by showing like I was unique, um, not doing the exact same things she did all the time. So I kind of pushed back on Harry Potter a little bit when I was in early elementary school. And I was like, oh, I don't like Harry Potter, even though I'd never read the books or seen the movies or anything. And finally, when I was about nine, Alice convinced me to read the first chapter with her. She actually like read it to me, which I was probably a little bit too old to have the books read to me. But I guess anything to spend time with my older sister. And I was hooked from that chapter on. And since then, I've just read read them and reread them every year. And that all led to us starting a podcast three years ago. <laughs> yeah, now you reread it every week. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we do. So we're currently in we're currently on the sixth book um, and it's taken us three years to get to that point because the series is so long um, and we do one chapter a week. We have not missed a week. So that's been exactly how long it took us to get to the sixth book. Right. And it's been our slowest reread ever. Mm-hmm. Um, normally we would spend you know a few months rereading the books. Now it's been three years and we haven't even finished the series. <laughs> <laughs> So you're not running parallel rereads sort of on your own while you're doing the podcast? Actually, we did do that. Yeah, I reread the f- the fifth, sixth, and seventh last yeah, year. Me too. And then okay. right now, I'm, we're, we're in the sixth book, and then I've sort of read ahead right now. Um, I'm kind of thinking about finishing up the sixth and reading into the seventh book, too, just, just to kind of freshen up my knowledge. Because like I said, those are sort of a weaker point for me. 
So you two said that you have read the books or I, m- I misunderstood who has read the books. <laughs> I was being charitable mostly because I can't speak to, to Z's experience. I, I haven't actually read the books. So we, we did an episode on Harry Potter earlier. And so I mostly had it from the perspective of somebody who had never really I'd, had seen some of the movies, but hadn't really read any of the books and had only kind of grown up around people who had read the books or had seen the movies or uh, in my case, remember seeing it in like a scholastic book fair <laughs> and then it's suddenly exploding in popularity from then. So for me, me like I haven't consumed a lot of Harry Potter media at all, although I've been really digging the Fantastic Beasts movies. Well, actually, it's funny that you mentioned the scholastic book fair because that's where I first got. Well, I got, I got it through a scholastic book order, like one of those catalogs. And that is that is exactly where I got the book from. Yeah, it's interesting when people have only watched the movies and not read the books. I'm always a little bit saddened by that just because i think the movies are so much worse um and (laughs) the books are so there's so much more to the books i think what i recently said on one of our shows about fantastic beasts and this wasn't about fantastic beasts but i said this about harry potter was that i feel like the directors of the movies and you know the producers or whatever they kind of misinterpreted in some ways what it was that fans loved about the books and it's kind of intangible so I don't know if I'm really like explaining myself that well, but I feel like they kind of missed a certain element that was so amazing in the books and they boiled it all down to like, oh, the, the people that are really into this is because they love the magic and that's what's cool about it. And it's like, yeah, that is part of it. But a huge part of Harry Potter for us especially is just like the characters, which are so rich and the complexity of the, of the story and the um, themes that are presented as well. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, when they have to boil that down into like a, two hour or less movie it makes it really hard to really capture the depth of the series so maybe you have an opportunity now to go read the books for yourself yes i want to say more than i'll put it on the the list of things to to read because during the show we have i know i've accumulated a large list of things to watch and and read and and see but i mean i really don't have an excuse for not having at least read some of harry potter uh but z i think you had a question about um about growing up with Harry Potter that might be in line right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I was wondering was, how do you both feel the element of people, of readers, growing up with the books and the actors who played the characters in the movies and sort of the depth or complexity of the stories affected how wildly popular the series became? Um, I think it's it's definitely a um, combination of factors. Um, obviously, I think a huge part of the Harry Potter generation was this was like one of the very first, uh, not not the first, but one of the one of the first YA series that really took off like this. Um, and it really uh, just I think spoke to a lot of people um, the concept of this like underdog character who uh, this orphan boy who discovers that he's special and like the whole idea of the triumph of good over evil, everything like that. I think really spoke to people and still does today um and i I think like alice is kind of like the quintessential harry potter fan because she grew she like grew up with harry she grew up with daniel radcliffe pretty much like Mm -hmm. not that harry is daniel radcliffe but that actors are all around the same age as alice um so i think there's a lot of people that of that specific generation who really felt like this was their like pivotal series or like defining moment of their their childhood and adolescence as well i think that the the story is what grabbed the initial people that got really into harry potter like the the people that were like true harry potter crazy fans like they were initially hooked by the amazing story and the amazing characters all of that um and then just there was enough people that were hooked in by that and then there was tons of other like people who came in on the periphery who were excited by the the movement of Harry Potter and like just like the fun midnight releases and the the like the hyperness surrounding everything with it. So I think that it was like that's how it got to be so big, at least from my perspective, was just this idea of there's enough core fans and then there was all these people who kind of like joined in because it was really fun to, you know, be part of the fandom. That's just my theory. It's a good theory too cuz like we go to a bunch of different conventions and, you know, you see people, it's like uh, in costume of whatever the, the the latest thing is. And that's that's pretty neat. But like thinking back to like the early 2000s or way back to well, actually, yeah, like the early 2000s when the midnight releases were really big, like that was really novel. That was something that folks hadn't seen since like, I don't know, Star Wars in the 70s or something like that. Midnight releases 
I don't know, weren't really a thing as much until uh, Harry Potter came out. <laughs> yeah, I do think that it was something new as far as with a book being that excited or that popular and getting that much of amount of fans just like super riled up. Um, and I do feel like um, Harry Potter along with Star Wars um, and then Lord of the Rings, which was really big at the time too. I feel like um, Star Wars had already laid the ground for that. And then I guess Star Trek a little bit too with like fans going nuts over something nerdy. But then Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, like it all started spiraling. And I think Harry, po- what Harry Potter did was it made it, it made being a nerd more mainstream. So it was like cool to be in the Harry Potter bandwagon. It was, I mean, to a certain extent, there was still obviously like it wasn't something that necessarily, I don't know, it wasn't necessarily the coolest thing ever, but it wasn't like you were ridiculed because you were a huge Harry Potter fan. Like it was very widespread. So that's one thing I think Harry Potter can take some credit for. And I think part of it is that Harry Potter is low fantasy, whereas things like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars are more that high fantasy that's like completely otherworldly, um, where like you you dress up and you look completely out of this world, literally. Um, whereas Harry Potter fans, I mean, Harry Potter costumes for the most part, it's it's a human just wearing like you know robes or something, and that's not quite as geeky looking, I guess, as somebody dressed as as like an alien, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it definitely made being a nerd more mainstream, I think. Right. Or at least that kind of nerd. Well, speaking of of nerds and kind of like then and now, has there been a big difference in the kind of fans you see being interested in Harry Potter now as opposed to getting into the fandom back then? Um, That's a good question. I think uh, that's kind of what's interesting about the fandom now is that it's so like diverse, I guess. It's not just one age group. Um, we have Harry Potter fans who have been Harry Potter fans since the books came out when they were kids, since the books came out when they were adults. And then we also have new Harry Potter fans who are kids now. Um, so there's not really like a definitive Harry Potter fan. And I think if you look at like the number of Harry Potter podcasts on iTunes, for instance, there's such a diversity in who's hosting those, um, whether they're, you know, what Hogwarts house they are, where they're from, uh, how old they are, everything like that. It's just really, I think that's one of the greatest things about Harry Potter is that it really speaks to a huge number of people. And it's not really just one specific kind of uh, archetype that it applies to. Yeah, I agree for sure. That's a good way of putting it. Like I said, it just, it's a pretty mainstream fandom and it's not really like, you don't, you don't have to like really put yourself out there that much to pick up the book or watch the movie. So I think that's why it's really attracted so many people. And there's still even a ton of adults who are getting into it now as well. Like, like you said, there's just so many fans who are coming to the show or coming to the the series now. And it's awesome. Right. And, you know, for better or worse that it's a mainstream fandom, um, you know, there's, there's super fans in every fandom, obviously. And I, I think those who listen to Harry Potter podcasts or have Harry Potter podcasts are probably at the peak of the nerdiness and super fandom. But yes, it, right. Think- I'm not trying to say like, <laughs> I'm not a nerd because I am <laughs> like, I'm just trying to say like, there's definitely fans out there who are less nerdy than I am. Right. Um, yeah. And, so, and, that, and that's what I mean too about like the super fans. I don't, I don't think there's like one archetype of what a super fan of Harry Potter looks like either. And not that there would be of any fandom either, but especially with Harry Potter, I think because it's so mainstream, there's a lot of, um, diversity and who is obsessed with it that makes me really really curious then earlier you sort of mentioned that uh people could just skip over the cursed child what i'm wondering this is kind of getting to that uh question that nick t had mentioned earlier on how do people feel about the sort of post deathly hallows additions to i guess what you might call the harry potter canon are fans on board in general for the cursed child and fantastic beasts do they kind of reject them as like non-canonical extras that don't really fit in? So I personally do consider them to be non-canonical. Um, but I think I think Harry Potter fans are like facing a real conundrum every day in that, like, obviously we love Harry Potter, so we want more content in some ways. But then it's like we get this new content and we're like, well, we really just like the first seven books. <laughs> so it's... It's kind of tough because, like, I can see why people get excited about these things, um, and then people just get mad about them too. So it's, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I personally, like I said, Martha and I, we don't really see Cursed Child as canon. Um, I see the se- I see the seven books as the canon, and then the stuff outside of that is like secondary canon or tertiary canon, like where you can kind of enjoy it for what it's worth but it doesn't to me it doesn't affect what i've read in the first seven books 
Cursed Child, I mostly don't like as a script, like reading it as a script. Um, I think seeing it as a play, I've heard that fans generally really like it as a play. So I just feel like that that was sort of a misstep to release that as just a script. I think that um, it's definitely something that's maybe divided Harry Potter fans or at least, you know, riled Harry Potter fans up. Um, Like Alice said, people asked for more content and then they were mad about what we got. Um, And I think Cursed Child, like Alice said, the script itself was not... It was enjoyable to read, but it didn't feel the same. It wasn't actually written by J.K. Rowling. Um, The script wasn't. um, The story was, but it was written by another playwright. So it has a different feel than the rest of the books. So I agree with Alice. I would love to see it um, on stage. And I think that a lot of Harry Potter fans, I've heard almost nothing but good about the actual stage production of it. Um, But reading the script just isn't really quite the same. And then when we get to Fantastic Beasts, it's kind of a similar thing where I I really enjoy the movies and I find them very entertaining. Um, but they're just not really, they're not Harry Potter movies per se. They're, they're their own canon. Um, and they're, that doesn't make them any less entertaining. Yeah. I see, I see fantastic beasts as like a separate entity, like of just, you know, enjoyable movies for me. Whereas a lot of fans, I do think read into it a lot and are like, well, how does that affect what, what happened to Harry in the seven books? And, I think in order to continue enjoying it for myself, I have to not do that because it's not always super consistent. And that being said, that's not necessarily how all Harry Potter fans feel about any of the the added uh, things to the canon. That's one opinion for sure. But like we said, there's there's so many Harry Potter fans. There's a lot of opinions about uh, the new the new stuff. I think the second Fantastic Beasts has really split people up over this because I feel like the first one came out and everybody was pretty like unanimously in agreement that it was a good movie and that it was a lot of fun. Um, and it was a fun addition to the Harry Potter canon. Um, and now the second movie came out and they started putting in stuff that does tie into the seven books more. And that made it harder for people to enjoy. And so, like I said, for us, it's a matter of just considering it its own thing and not totally connected to Harry Potter, I guess. Where do, uh, where do JK Rowling tweets fall in the canonicity? Yeah, that I knew that question was coming. Um, <laughs> well, okay, J.K. Rowling, I, I I definitely have trouble criticizing too much because she is the creator of my favorite thing of all time, um, and I just can't really blame her for wanting to add more to this amazing thing that she's created. Where like it's hers. I mean, it's not really hers anymore because it's it's in the world, and you know, it's it's. Uh, once it's been published, it's not really hers anymore, but it still is her creation. And you can't blame her for coming up with stuff that, you know, she's maybe had in her head all the time. Maybe she's coming up with it now and nobody really knows. But at the same time, it, it is sometimes like, okay, Joe, maybe you should uh, turn off Twitter for a while and keep those thoughts to, to yourself. <laughs> right. And I just feel like in college, I learned a lot about like literary criticism and the idea of like, where does meaning in a text come from? And I think that a lot of people think of it as the author has the ultimate say on where the meaning comes from. But to me, that's not really how I view it. So when she says stuff, I just like, you know, read it. And then I'm like, okay, if I like it, (laughs) I'll, I'll accept it. And then if I don't, I won't, because to me, I feel like I'm an equal part in deciding what I think (laughs) Harry Potter is. So I read the tweet, you know, or whatever. And like, I don't really get that mad about it just because I feel like it wasn't in the book. So it's not really real. Yeah, and like, whatever, JK, go ahead and say it. Like, it's fine yeah. for her to do that. I mean, it's I can see why people get annoyed, because I know everyone doesn't view it that way. Do you think that's kind of a common idea within the fandom, that it's this thing that JK Rowling has put out there, and maybe she pipes up now and then about this edition or that edition, but that it's generally something that the fans kind of have more of a say in than maybe other books or other series? Well, I do think people have a very strong emotional attachment to the books. And so I think that's why they do get so fired up. Um, But I think that most people see her as like the owner of it and having the ability to like, I feel like most people when she says something, they're like, oh, well, then that we have to now accept that and we have to believe that. Um, And then they get mad about feeling like they have to accept that. Right. Um, So why not just, you know move on <laughs> yeah. and let her let her say her piece and maybe not accept it as part of the canon because it's it's not in the seven books i enjoy like like martha it's hard to criticize jk rowling just because she she is a genius and she is like she created the most amazing story and you know the best world but like i agree sometimes it's like okay maybe just stick to tweeting about like politics or whatever because that would be fine <laughs> 
<laughs> it's it's funny because that's like the opposite that I would expect from most people. They're like, uh, stick to writing your books. <laughs> Well-known author. It's like, no, no, you can go to politics. That's that's fine. We're good with the books. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is kind of the opposite. <laughs> All this talk about J.K. J- Rowling's additions and whatnot, her tweets and everything, and canonicity initially, I mean, I'm sort of racking my brain here a little bit for the memories of it. But initially, when we looked at the Harry Potter fandom, like way, way back when we were starting out our show, um, I kind of got the sense that a lot of it was transformative. You know, fans took these stories, and they wrote fan fiction, they made fan websites, there is fan art, all this creative stuff going on. But now it sounds like maybe there's a little bit more of a curative side of it, sort of fans saying, this is canon, this isn't canon, these are the facts, this is extra stuff that doesn't really count. Would you say that that shift is real or am I just seeing a pattern where there's no pattern? Where's where's the Harry Potter discourse going is, is what's going on. Right. Um, I think part of why fan art and fan theories and fan fiction took off so much back when Harry Potter was starting was because the whole series wasn't finished yet, um, especially like right when, uh, you know, Facebook and Muggle or Facebook and MySpace and all, all the social media at the time was like booming. That's when MuggleNet was starting as well and things like that, where there were all these platforms for Harry Potter fans to get together online and, you know, talk about what was happening. And the series hadn't wrapped yet. So it was really especially a perfect platform for people to air their theories about what was going to happen, what was going to what, what they thought was going to happen, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, come up with their own ideas. Now that the series has finished, I think I think I, I see what you're saying about how it's more like we're connecting things uh, with between thing, you know, between books that are already part of the canon. So, you know, that's what a lot of Harry Potter podcasters do, especially those who have a similar format to us in a book club format where we're going chapter by chapter and, you know, looking at how this chapter connects to whatever chapter in the future or in the past. Um, we're not necessarily coming up with fan fiction um that's adding to the canon because the canon is, you know, finished at this point, uh, at least in our view. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting way of looking at it, but I, I definitely see that pattern. Yeah, and I think that there's definitely still plenty of content being created. Um, I know there's tons of people writing fan fiction and doing fan art and stuff, but um, some of it then is inspired by the stuff on Pottermore, I think, more. And some of it is inspired by stuff that J.K. Rowling has said or stuff that's in The Cursed Child and so I think you're right. Like each fan is sort of deciding for themselves, like what they see as the official Harry Potter story. And it, I think that's partly why, uh, like there are so many Harry Potter podcasts and so many different Harry Potter fan communities is just because I think there's lots of different views on how we should be reading the series or how, like what is, what makes them so great. And so each podcast or each fan community sort of has their like tone that they take on and, that's actually part of why we started our show is because I didn't feel like there was a fan community out there that I really identified with. Um, and same with Martha, we kind of felt like we liked stuff about the series that other people weren't mm-hmm. highlighting. So that's why we wanted to start our own podcast. And it's been really cool to find people who f- say that they feel like they can identify with the way that we, the way that we approach the, sh- uh, the, the series. What are some of the things that like you, that you weren't seeing in other communities that you wanted to see realized and and that your podcast helped to do that um i think like one of the things for us sort of like what alice was touching on earlier is it's not really about the magic it's not really about the whole premise even it's it's not cool there's a magic school cool that there's wizards and witches but that's not really the most incredible part about harry potter for us um what we really like to highlight on our show and what we have always been especially impressed by is jk rowling's ability as a writer um and especially as a mystery writer um she really has a very fine-tuned ability to set up things that come into play later um you know from book one to book seven or from chapter one to chapter 27 she's just is really good at setting things up that are going to come into play later and don't necessarily you don't necessarily pick that up on the first read because we've read these books so many times we have noticed these kinds of things um and uh, we just really are in awe of jk rowling and her writing ability and so i think that's one of the major things that we tend to highlight on our show and that we especially love about harry potter yeah and just some of the like little moments that the fandom doesn't always recognize like just there's a lot of humor in the way that it's written um that we like to point out minor uh, characters minor characters that are hilarious um and just the amazing uh, 
just the amazing like character development overall. Um, so I think that for us, like our show is a little bit of we take a, kind of a literary approach to it, I would say. Like a um, layman's literary approach. Layman's literary. It's not, we don't, like, this is making it sound like we're like, oh, we're so uh, we're analyzing the series so much. Like, we, first, <laughs> yeah, we're taking this, like, this book series that anyone can read and anyone can understand. And then we're just kind of, like, picking apart the reasons that we think it's amazing. So, that's, that's kind of the approach. Um, and and I, I think there's other- probably other stuff out there. I just hadn't found it. So, yeah. that's why I wanted to start the show. I think one other thing that we a super strong opinion we have about the Harry Potter books and movies that not every Harry Potter fan has is that we just really don't like the movies that much. Um, We um, are really not big fans of the movies at all. Um, And there's a lot of Harry Potter fans who will agree that the movies are inferior to the books or that the movies aren't as good. But for us, it's, it's almost a distaste for the movies. Um, (laughs) We, we like the movies. Okay. They're still fun to watch, but they're just not the same. And there's a lot of Harry Potter fans who love the movies, which is totally fine. But that's not how we are on our show, at least, and, and how we feel about Harry Potter. Yeah. And actually, another another piece that I feel like is different um, is that we love Harry, the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really respect him as a character. Um, and I do feel like a lot of people online, there's gotten to be sort of a negative vibe about who Harry is as a person. Um, and people who are saying, oh, he's just like this arrogant jock who he doesn't have a lot of depth. And that sort of is how he's portrayed in the movies. Um, but in the books, he's very introspective and just like the most very he's, sensitive. He's a very deep person. Um, and like, I mean, not he's flawed, obviously. But I just think that we've taken that tone with our show as well, which is not always apparent in other fandoms. And again, not right or wrong. That's just how we see it. Understanding that there's a huge amount of diversity in the fans of, of Harry Potter. We talked about people who are coming into it now. People grew up with it. Understanding that, are there certain rites of passage for the fandom? Like there are some fandoms where there are just things that everybody seems to have done, whether intentionally because there was gatekeeping going on or unintentionally because it's like, how could you have not come across this? Uh, is there anything like that in Harry Potter fandom? I think it's interesting because because uh, Harry Potter has been you know, it's it's a pretty recent creation, but then at the same time, there's a lot of generations of fans at this point. So yeah. I think there's certain things that I think like if you grew up with Harry Potter, whether you went to a midnight release is probably one of those rites of passage. But that doesn't mean that new fans of Harry Potter aren't ever going to be as great of fans because they didn't have the opportunity to do that. So I, I guess that would be the biggest thing I would think of. But again, like that doesn't necessarily apply to people today. Yeah, I guess um, some of the things that actually we have not done, um, (laughs) like one of them would be going to Harry Potter World. Because we live in Montana, we have not had the opportunity to do that, um, although we do plan to at some point. Um, But it's pretty mainstream now. I feel like a lot of people have been to Harry Potter World um, and probably like, you know, especially if you live sort of close to the parks at all. So that that would be one thing, um, you know, maybe like a costumes of some sort or if you've ever like dressed up as a harry potter character yeah, but for halloween or something yeah or for a midnight release right but, yeah. yeah and i guess when I, the only midnight release i've gone to and maybe this i'm just talking like this because i'm a little bit bitter that i was too young um as a harry potter fan to be able to go to any midnight releases i did go to the cursed child one and there were a ton of little kids at that so i who i guess like they can cross that off as their true harry potter fans now that they got to go to that one but i mean that's cursed child though so i don't know <laughs> I think another one back in the day would have been like having a, a muggle net um, account or muggle space was the social media one um, or just, you know, going on muggle net, listening to muggle cast back in the day. Yeah. Or like leaky cauldron was another big website. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I was thinking about things like, and these are only, this is only lore handed down secondhand, but things like um, my immortal or uh, yeah. Harry Potter puppet puppet pals. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely. The Puppet Pals. Um, yeah, actually, that's funny that you say that because the other day in our Facebook groups, one of our members shared out that video and he had never seen it before. And everybody was kind of like, we all love it. Um, and he kind of got some like got given a hard time because he had never seen it before. He's like, I've just never seen it. <laughs> and that's fine. Like, that's totally fine. But it's just really um, it, you're right. Like, that was kind of a rite of passage. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. A big one that I was really late to the game with was um, a very Potter musical, which is on YouTube and it's uh, it's pretty well, well done. I mean, it was an older YouTube video from like 2008 or something. 
Um, and but it, it stars Darren Chris in it, um, and it's sort of a parody of Harry Potter. And I just for some reason never watched it until last year, actually, for so, our show. Yeah, yeah. Martha always was pestering me to watch it, and I was very late to the game on that because I think most Harry Potter fans at that point had seen it. Yeah, the diehard fans for the most part. Mm-hmm. Shifting gears just a little bit, sort of moving from talking about Harry Potter to moving to talking about YA or young adult fiction a little bit more broadly. Do you think that maybe not necessarily single-handedly, but Harry Potter sort of helped make YA as popular as it is now? So like sort of helped YA bridge the gap between whatever young adults are and the rest of adults? for lack of a better term. Yeah, I do think that Harry Potter came at a sort of a pivotal point um, in children's and young adult literature. And Harry Potter started as a children's series, which is kind of interesting. And then it became more YA as Harry got older. But I do think that, I don't know that it was necessarily the reason that YA really took off, but I do think it was perfectly timed that it coincided with it and that YA was starting to become more of its own genre at that point. Um, And then... Ever since then, I do feel like publishers have been trying to recreate the phenomenon and, you know, sometimes with more success than others. But generally speaking, they have not been able to recreate it um, to the same level. But I do think that YA as a whole has, you know, really expanded in the last 15 years. So it was sort of perfectly timed, I guess. And I, I do think it probably helped the genre, too. And Alice is speaking as a librarian, so she, she does <laughs> yeah. know what she's talking about li- with the YA stuff. <laughs> yeah, I am a high school librarian. So interestingly enough, I do one thing I do love about my job is seeing how many kids are still reading Harry Potter. Um, and our library has, well, my school that I teach at is about 2,000 students. And we have... Um, two to three copies of each of the books and they're almost constantly going in and out. Like I, they're getting checked out all the time. So it's really cool to see that it's still pretty popular. Yeah. That's really cool. I guess that answers your question Z of was Harry Potter uh, uh, lightning in a bottle or not? Yeah. And I think it was like, I don't think that it's something you can just like organically like that can, that happens not organically. Like it has to happen organically. Um, and publishers. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's been a little bit so with um, Twilight, that was pretty big. I think that that was sort of riding on Harry Potter's coattails a little bit. Um, And then the Hunger Games. And it's weird with both of those series because they're so different from Harry Potter. um, And yes, especially Twilight. um, Like, it's not even like, I mean, Harry Potter starts when Harry's 11 and Twilight is, you know, a bunch of teenagers, which is quite a bit older. And it has much much more adult uh, content, I guess, than Harry Potter does in the beginning. Um, So I remember when I was like in, I guess, probably middle or high school when Twilight was coming out. And I uh, was like just so outraged by the comparisons uh, of Twilight to Harry Potter because I had read the first Twilight book and just found it to be like not even I couldn't even read it practically because it was really poorly written in my opinion and not that interesting and just didn't have anything to compare to Harry Potter. So I, I feel like there's been some series that have come a little bit closer to Harry Potter, but in terms of the effect that it's had on so many people, I don't think anything has really come too close since Harry Potter. And it hasn't been that long since the Harry Potter series. Right. I think it could still happen again. Like, especially if we get a little bit more distance from Harry Potter and they're not, and it's not like people trying to say, Oh, this is the next. I mean, they'll probably always say that, I guess, but as long as they're not trying to force that as much, like, I think it could be more successful. Um, And I feel like Twilight and Hunger Games and all that, they, they were, they were successful sort of on the, like for the reasons that the produ- like that producers of the Harry Potter movies thought that Harry Potter was successful like i said like they they were successful because they were an interesting concept like there was it was cool to have the vampires and then it, with hunger games it was an interesting concept of these of this like futuristic society with the kids going after each other um so those concepts were really great but then i think Harry Potter's had a lot more staying power because they're much more complex and really much better developed and um, better written. So, And I guess one thing with Twilight and Hunger Games, each of those, I guess you could say that each of them kind of sparked their own kind of um, following and then even like people trying to recreate each of those because, you know, after Hunger Games came out, that was a, the, the, the uh, theme of dystopian YA fiction really boomed. And then with Twilight, the theme of vampire romance really boomed too. So not really the same as Harry Potter, but I guess each of those has its own effect on 
you know, YA literature in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. They each kind of had their own ripple effect. Kind of speaking about there being a like a boom in terms of YA literature. And I guess this is mostly for Martha, because as you said, when you were growing up, like you were like three when one of the books came out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Has has uh, Harry Potter sparked in you an interest in like reading in general, or is it just like Harry Potter is the only book that you read? <laughs> um, well, actually, so we, when we we grew up, uh, both of our parents always wanted us to read. Um, we didn't really have TV growing up. Uh, we didn't. It was either playing outside or reading for us. Um, so we both really loved reading growing up. And Harry Potter wasn't really the first books I fell in love with, I guess, because. Like I said, I was kind of rebelling against Alice's obsession with Harry Potter. So I was reading other stuff and um, really getting into that kind of thing. And I think that the love of reading started really early for me and for Alice as well, um, pre-Harry Potter for both of us. Um, But of course, you know, our love of reading influenced our love of Harry Potter and vice versa as well. Because um, I think that, you know, when you have a series like Harry Potter that is so important to you, you're going to kind of compare a lot of a lot of what you read to that kind of thing. And, you know have that as kind of your comparison point. Yeah. And I think same for me, it wasn't what made me love reading, but I do think I I've never had the same connection to a book ever. Like I've never had the same connection to a series that I've had to Harry Potter. Like that's in a class of its own for me. Like when people ask me, what's my favorite book? I usually say something other than Harry Potter. Cause it's, it's just like in a class of its own. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, Harry Potter is my, that's my favorite series, obviously, but It's just, yeah. And I think that one thing about Harry Potter that did draw in so many people to that had not previously been readers was just the way that it was written. I think that it's very accessible. It's not tough to read at all. And it's just very like, it's just a fun read. Um, So I think that that really did help people to become readers that hadn't been previously. Um, And that was something that made me love it too. You know, it wasn't a challenge for me to read it. It was just super fun. So I think that that's definitely helped its success as well. Do you think that you would be reading whatever it is you're reading right now if you had never read Harry Potter, assuming that you're reading something other than Harry Potter? We are. Yeah. Right now I'm reading the book Vox, which is sort of like The Handmaid's Tale. It's a newer book. Um, So I don't know that it necessarily... I, th- I feel like I could have definitely been reading that separate from Harry Potter. But I do feel like Harry Potter, like Martha said, is sort of my measuring stick on a lot of things. Like, I just have never recreated that same love of a book. I mean, I, I still... There's lots of books that I love, but they just have not compared to that series. So, yes, I do think I would still be reading what I am, but I... I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I would have lower expectations for books. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I feel, too. Um, right now, I'm reading the... Uh, the Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest, the third book in the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series. And I uh, I guess like mystery books were never really my thing growing up. But like we were mentioning earlier, like I feel like the Harry Potter books are kind of mysteries in their own right, um, especially the second and the sixth books. Um, and so and J.K. Rowling has gone on to write uh, a mystery series of her own, too, which we both uh, think is really excellent. So when I read mystery books, I often am kind of using both uh, J.K. Rowling's uh, Harry Potter series and the Cormoran Strike series as well as kind of, again, like a measuring stick uh, to compare what I'm reading to uh, that. Wasn't, wasn't quite sure what uh, the answer would be to that kind of a question, but it's I, like I wasn't expecting Harry Potter to be like this measuring stick. I guess I was expecting <laughs> more like Harry Potter pushed me in this direction of, of book selection kind of idea. I will say that like every time that I would be looking for another book and, you know, at the library, there would oftentimes be little like suggestions like lists if you liked harry potter try this and generally speaking it was never all that successful because i the stuff that i liked about harry potter wasn't necessarily the fantasy although i i like fantasy i'm not adverse to it but i just feel like again it was it was more about the characters and the themes for me so it didn't exactly it i think for a while it did push me to read more fantasy than i do now but i think like Martha said, really now I really enjoy mysteries and that might be more the natural arc that my Harry Potter reading took me. Obviously, as a result of being enamored with Harry Potter, the two of you have gone on to like read as much Harry Potter as there is and see the movies and, and whatnot and start a podcast. But how else has Harry Potter changed your life? What opportunities exist now that didn't exist until it opened up that door to you? Um, okay, that's a pretty heavy question, um, but it's a good one for sure. I think 
because I grew up reading Harry Potter, um, and I, it's hard to say exactly what about what it is that has influenced me from Harry Potter, what, you know, was my parents, what was, you know, the people I was spending my time with. But I think that um, reading Harry Potter definitely instilled a lot of values in me that I definitely consider to be my core values today. And again, it's hard to say whether it's Harry Potter solely is the cause of that or, or what it is. But, you know, the value of being open-minded and valuing diversity and considering uh, different opinions and, of course, just the concept of love um, being, you know, what conquers everything, um, which I think that's a, that's a pretty cliche concept. But in Harry Potter, I think it's really taken to a whole new level. And I think that that's definitely influenced, you know, who I am today and how I look at the world um, and how I read books, even everything, you know, that I do, I, I feel like is definitely influenced by what I grew up with reading, which was Harry Potter. Yeah, I have to agree. Like, it's hard to say if it was specifically Harry Potter or if it was a combination of factors. But I do think, like Martha said, that a lot of those themes really have have resonated with me. And, you know, I am pretty passionate about a lot of like social justice issues. And I think that Harry Potter really a lot of the themes in Harry Potter are related to that. Um, and then just for me as a career, I, like I said, I'm a librarian and I do feel like that was sort of influenced by Harry Potter. Um, in, in college, I studied English and I wanted to be an English teacher. But a lot of what I saw, and I, I love literature, but a lot of what I saw was sort of a like pretension, I guess, about like the way that stuff is written. And I don't necessarily love like slogging through like an old text like it's fun, but I like I, I like more of like the the common literature, I guess. Um, so that's what drew me towards librarianship instead of being an English teacher because I feel like I get to really you know encourage people to read for fun and get to read whatever you want to read, not what you're being forced to read. Um, and obviously, I think that it's great to teach you know teach literature as well. But I think that in order to really love reading, you have to read stuff that personally interests you. So I think that for me, like having found that in Harry Potter, that was part of what inspired me to change to that career. And um, yeah, so I really love it. Not to disparage English teachers too much. No, no, I said that. I am. So <laughs> yeah, Martha's, day, so. Martha's now an English teacher. So <laughs> that's, I'm not, I, I'm not trying to say that's bad at all. Like I said, that there's a place for that as well. But I think Harry Potter really led me towards being a librarian. I feel like the odd one out because the two of you are an English teacher, a librarian, and Nick Z is a um, like has an English literature background as well. Oh, so. nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So I could totally relate to uh, to your uh, maybe not complaints, but gentle criticisms, uh, <laughs> Alice, of literary classes sort of being about uh, old texts and whatnot. I I enjoy those, but not necessarily the theory side of things. Yeah, so exactly. Like it's it's not about disliking it. It's just like I like I like Harry Potter more. <laughs> and I just you always like reading for fun I more. feel like I got into a lot of arguments with my teachers or like I don't even know why. I used to be pretty feisty, I guess in class, but I would get into arguments with my teachers about like whether Harry Potter was of literary value. And I always was like, "Well, why does something need to be written in really stilted language for it to be good?" And so now that's why I feel like I was more suited to towards my current profession. Speaking of taking adversity and making opportunities out of it, <laughs> do you ever wish that there was another Hogwarts house? Oh, it's a good it's a good question. I guess I hadn't ever I haven't thought about it that much. Um, but now that you ask it, uh I, we on our show spend a lot of time talking about the Hogwarts houses. Um, one of the things we do in addition to our book club is that we do um, sorting hat episodes of different franchises, um, TV shows, movies, um, where we take the characters and sort them into Hogwarts houses. And um, I think part of like our premise with that is that we kind of do see the four Hogwarts houses as being pretty summative of people. Um, and it's it's sometimes hard to say who's in what house definitively. But we've found that this is a personality test or a class system that actually does apply. Um, and we at least we've been able to apply it to a lot of different people and a lot of different characters. Um, so personally, I think that the the four house system as a, you know, as a personality measure is actually pretty all encompassing. Um, not I, the the house system itself of like house points and, you know, only going to, you know, classes with your people in your house. That's a little bit different and maybe less, uh, 
inclusive, obviously, but um, the actual like four traits or four houses um, we've we're pretty big fans of. Yeah. And I do think maybe maybe we just need a house for like true jerks or something, (laughs) because what we always get in trouble for on our show is we sort people. And a lot of times we end up sorting sorting the jerks into Slytherin. Um, and not pe- always. No, a lot of times, though, we do. And so then people get mad and they're like, oh, well, that's just, you know, we only see the negative Slytherins in the books, but Slytherin it represents a lot more than that. And I agree. So I wish there was like an easy house where we could just put all the people we don't the like. Bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I have to I have to agree with Martha. Like, I think that I'm pretty impressed with J.K. Rowling for coming up with that. Um, and I if I was going to try to come up with a, what a fifth house would be, I don't know what the traits would be that I would say are, are so different than the other four. But if either of you has an idea, I'd be interested to hear it. What I always go back to when I think of the four houses is, is um, something that I read on Imgur or Reddit or something. And it's like, we all know that there are four types of kids, brave, cunning, smart, and miscellaneous. <laughs> yes. I feel like that's pretty, yeah. pretty covers everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. Hufflepuff does take everyone. So they do have, they do have their own traits, um, but then they also get the miscellaneous people. So, so yeah, that does take the rest. Yeah. Um. So it, it sort of is a catch all system there. As this podcast comes to an end, and as I'm sure one day the two of you will finish your read through of uh, Harry Potter on your podcast, what happens when uh, the real weird sisters get to the end of Harry Potter? Ooh, uh, so that's an announcement we haven't officially made yet on our show, but we do we do have a plan. We're, we have a chapter a week pace, and that we're due to finish up the seventh book um, in March of 2020. So we've got about another year left of the show. Um, and we all we've really officially said is that we will not end officially um, when the book club ends. Um, we do have several ideas of where we want to take the show. I think we have at this point, again, probably not going to say because I, I don't want to lock us into anything. That's the main reason I don't want to say it right now. But we have an idea of what we want to do um, when we're done. And it is a format that keeps us going on a, a regular schedule. It's not something where we have to come up with an idea every week, um, which I think was what I was a little bit nervous about. Not that I mean, there is so much we could talk about like there. I feel like what we could talk about with Harry Potter knows no bounds, um, but just that would be a lot of work to every week coming up with a new theme or whatever. Um, I'm pretty impressed with the shows that are able to do that. So anyway, we have a format in mind, something that will keep us going for a while. um, And we are very excited about it, honestly. So, yeah, when we started the show, we I remember like counting how many chapters there were, you know, Googling how many chapters there were um, and figuring out how long this was going to last as we figured out about four years. And I was like, we're maybe we'll go for four years. Like maybe we, we, we might make it four years, but now that we're three years in, it's like, can't really see us stopping after four years because talking about Harry Potter every week is the highlight of our week. Most weeks, um, because we just love talking about Harry Potter and we love talking to each other as well uh, for the most part. So um, talking about Harry Potter on our podcast is something that I don't see us stopping doing um, just because we love it so much. And we might take like one week off or something yeah, because <laughs> it has been a little bit tiresome to do, you know, every single week, never miss a week, but it's very rewarding. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Somebody had made it through this podcast and still wasn't interested in reading or watching the movies. What would you say to somebody to try to get them interested in Harry Potter? Yeah, what we could say to you, actually. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm definitely not pointing a target at myself. <laughs> um, well, I just think that Harry Potter has, it's different than what its reputation is. Um, it's at least what we love about it, like we've tried to, to say here, is is not necessarily the, the big magic, big special effects, um, that kind of stuff. Um, Although that stuff is all really fun, it's too. It's also so- really fun. But there's just so much more to it that I think people who have held off on reading it until now maybe have not seen or not believed is there. Um, And I just really think that if you don't like Harry Potter, you haven't really read Harry Potter yet. Um, Yeah, the one exception of somebody who I'll give a pass on this is our grandpa who (laughs) read the first book when I was in middle school. So he was like almost 80 um, and he just didn't get it like like and he, he tried he's too literal with things and he was just he tried but with the exception of him like unless you are truly like so out of touch that you can't like you can't um put that aside to enjoy like suspend your disbelief a little bit um and i think almost everyone would love harry potter or at least appreciate it yeah um, at least see the value it, it is yeah and again the other thing that i will say is that the the 
further you go into the series, the more rewarding it is. Definitely. Like the first book um, is a lot of fun, but it's much more of a children's book. Um, and it gets more complex from there um, and builds up to an amazing conclusion. The seventh book is phenomenal. So try to try to your best to get through the seven books. And I think you will become a fan as well. Exactly. I'm pretty sure my fiance has on a shelf downstairs <laughs> all the books. There's Nothing stopping me from just going downstairs and picking one off the shelf. Certainly not. Good. (laughs) I was going to say, also, if you're this for anyone listening, if you're not a big reader yourself um, or you don't like picking up a book, um, the audiobooks are really good, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're very fun to listen to. I love to listen to them. So I would encourage that as well. If you want to if you want to get the story, but you don't necessarily want to crack open the book. Are the audiobooks voiced by like a cool actor <laughs> from the show or from the movie? Um, no, there's there's two versions of the audiobooks. One is Stephen Fry, um, and the other is Jim Dale. Um, we we're pretty big fans of the Jim Dale version, but a lot of people love Stephen Fry's version as well. So yeah, the Jim Dale is the American reader and or like the he's, American he's version. British, but yeah, he reads the American. Yeah, edition. and then Stephen Fry reads the British edition. So depending where you live, you usually only have access to one of them. Alice and Martha. Uh, where can people find you online? So the best way is to probably just search for The Real Weird Sisters. Um, kind of a tongue twister. Um, but if you look for us on iTunes or any pod- podcatcher, you can find us there. We're the podcast with the little two witches and the mic- microphone and lightning bolt in between us. And if you listen uh, to the first 30 seconds, you'll get the theme song, which is a parody of Eminem. So you should understand that when, once you get there, that's who, that's the right show. Um, so there, there's another Weird Sisters podcast. It's not us. We're the real Weird Sisters. And, yeah. So anyway, if you search for the real Weird Sisters, um, you can also find us on Twitter. We're at Real Weird Sister with no, no plural. Um, or Facebook. We're on there as well. Um, Facebook.com slash Real Weird Sisters. Um, so those are all great places to find us. Yes. And if you'd like to find out more about Phanthropological or the next cast, you can do so by going to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at the next cast. You can also check out Phanthropological.com. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Allison Martha, for joining us. Uh, I learned a lot about Harry Potter that I did not know. Yeah. Uh, I- that is not I, I already <laughs> don't know a lot, but I also learned a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to us talk about Harry Potter. We had a lot of fun. Yes, uh, we really enjoyed this. So thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Happy to have you on. Uh, well, I guess since G's not here, I'll have to say the thing that he says. And that <laughs> is uh, until next time. We'll see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.